0: Welcome back to Talmart Radio on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California. This is your host, Rohan Bakshi. Our guest on today's episode is sports broadcaster Scott Gordon, who has been calling UC Davis home football games on ESPN Plus this past season. I met Scott a few weeks ago in the press box at the UC Davis Aggie Stadium where I was shadowing him and other sport broadcasters at a home game. So, Scott, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for
1: having me on. It's good to see you again.
0: Yeah. So, first off, you are an experienced broadcaster uh, and sideline reporter, additionally, uh, who has spent time working in the NFL, college football, uh, and high school games. So, when and how did you get started interested in uh, sports broadcasting?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I've loved football as my first love. I think Uh, My family was concerned about me growing up that I love football more than anything else. (laughs) So I played football through the first two years of college. And pretty soon in college at the University of Arizona, I learned that I probably wasn't going to be able to play much past, you know, that that was going to be the level I either tapped out at. So your options, if you love the game of football and you love being around sports or either get into coaching or get into broadcasting. So I actually tried to do both. You know, I started interning in college at the NBC affiliate in Tucson and what's cool about going to a college town you're in Davis it's it's a college town but we had a very small NBC affiliate so I used to work the weekends and I was an intern but really I was the producer I learned how to edit I learned how to write I'd go out on site I'd do things so I really kind of got the bug to do broadcasting and then uh, you know kept me close to the game So it allowed me to, you know, be around football. And so I would say probably midway through college, when I realized I wasn't going to play much past my sophomore year, I dove into broadcasting and really haven't looked back. But I would tell you that it's since I was probably 10, there has not been a fall where I wasn't playing, coaching or broadcasting football.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, so let's talk a little bit about your college experience. Uh, you mentioned you're a Wildcat and you played Division One football at the University of Arizona during your first two years of college. So what was your college major and how do you use what you learned in college for your broadcasting?
1: Well, my major actually was political science with a minor in history. I thought I might want to go to law school. Uh, I actually interned for Senator John McCain. I just was I liked studying politics and history So, But I really haven't used a lot of that with my broadcasting. It was more of my internships. You know, I interned at Fox Sports over the summer times and at the TV station in Tucson. And but really, you know, what happened with me is I played at a pretty big high school in Southern California called Peninsula. Most of my recruiting was to FCS level schools or Division Two, Division Three. And so I walked on at Arizona. But it was a really, you, you know, unique experience to be out there with these unbelievable athletes. But I also learned when I came back for the fall of my sophomore year that I had two choices. I was either going to transfer to a smaller school and play football, or I was going to have to you know, kind of get out of it uh, at Arizona just because it was taking up time and I wasn't moving up the ranks. So kind of a unique thing happened to me. I went and met with my position coach, uh, Dwayne Aquina, who's actually on the Stanford staff. And I went in and I said, hey, I, I think I might be done, coach. You know, this has been a good couple of years. And because my last name's Gordon, he always forgot my first name, so he called me Flash. He's like, "Flash, but you love this stuff." I said, "Yeah, but you know, it's um, when you play Division One sports, it's a sixty-hour to eighty-hour week feels like. I mean, it's meetings and weightlifting and training and practice." And he's like, "I tell you what," he recommended me. Technically, it was a manager scholarship, but I worked for the coaching staff, so I had to sign a letter that I was done playing. But my last two years of college, I, I was on a full ride scholarship by the football department. And I worked with the coaches, you know, I got to be around football. I got to study coaching. I got to be around it. And at the same time I was working on broadcasting at the side and then it was kind of fun. I was taking poli side history classes, you know, kind of doing that on the side too. So I got to do a little bit of everything that I loved.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've been a sideline reporter additionally for UC Davis, a color commentator for the Nevada Wolfpack football uh, worked at Comcast Sportsnet and called high school games around Northern California. And additionally, this past season, color commentator on TV for UC Davis football. So, what do you think is a unique skill that has helped you as a sports broadcaster?
1: I realized pretty quickly or early on that I need to be more diversified. That as much as I love football, you know, I'm not Al Michaels who so can just call a Thursday night game on Amazon Prime and make five million dollars a year. You know, I love that. I think I think you and I both would. I would say you have to love the sport you're covering because if you love the game, you see the game differently. You have an appreciation for the game. And the other thing you've got to do is you've got to be prepared to work because you can tell a broadcaster who's not put in the time and is just kind of going through the motions versus somebody that has watched the game, gone through a roster, is comfortable, has asked good questions, and is prepared.
0: And have you faced any setbacks as you started working and beginning your career in sports broadcasting? If so, uh, how were you able to overcome them?
1: Early on, to be candid with you, I, I sent out a lot of tapes, first of all, did I want to be in studio and be like the weekend sportscaster. So I sent some tapes out. I had some people that said they were interested, others that didn't even reply. I've reached out to people before, you know, at different schools, and they'll say, no, we're good. You've just got to be resilient, like a good football player, almost like a walk-on player that becomes a scholarship player. You just have to realize, no, I'm good at this, and I love to do it. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean, I am I think I'm good at calling football because I love it. When I listen to myself call games, there's definitely ways to improve. But you have to be resilient. And what you're doing starting you know on a podcast in high school is awesome, and you're getting things on tape. So yeah, I mean, my big break came, I came home from college and my local cable channel down in Palos Verdes said, Hey, we're going to start doing a high school game of the week. Would you be our color analyst? I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I started calling games at my old high school and then, uh, literally got connected with somebody in the USC athletic department that passed my tape along. It was ESPN radio, but it was, it was a company called sports USA radio. So I started calling NFL games a year after I was doing high school games. Uh, I was a sideline reporter in the NFL. And uh, like I said, if you're going to face setbacks because someone on the other end of the screen is not going to like you, they're going to like somebody else. Or you could be fighting an uphill battle where there's an internal candidate. You know, I'll tell you, I'm going to put my tape together after this season and I'll send it out to Fox Sports and see if I can get on some USFL broadcasts. Mm. More than likely, I might get the door slammed in my face, but if I don't send it, That'll be a regret I have. So as, as they say, you, know, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't mm. take. So you just got to keep taking them.
0: Well, I definitely hope you get that job uh, to work for the USFL. That'd be definitely really cool. So what do you wish you had known when you had first started out initially in broadcasting?
1: I think what I wish I had known is that I probably should have taken a few more risks earlier in my career. And what I mean by that is, when I wasn't married and uh, didn't have another job, you know, outside of broadcasting that I went to a smaller market and I worked my way kind of through the small markets so that I could actually have this be my career. You know, this is a a great hobby of mine, but I also have another full-time paying job. So I just wish when I was a little bit younger and just graduated that I went to some of those smaller marketplaces that were interested in me, there was a I got a job offer in Grand Junction, Colorado, and they were going to pay me eighteen thousand dollars, and uh, I would have had to shoot my own stories and edit them, and then get on camera a couple times a week. And uh, I ended up taking a job in pharmaceuticals because it was paying a lot more at the time, and then doing football kind of broadcasting on the side. So what I would say is, while you're young and you have the time, and you don't have you know the dependence or the other responsibilities. I wish I would have, because I think it would make me even a better broadcaster, have better perspective on what I have. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think I would have taken some some different risks when I was younger, but I don't know if there are regrets, but there are curiosities that I have that I wonder what my path would be on now.
0: And what advice would you give to anyone who wants to get into the sports broadcasting industry?
1: You know what I would say is you're in a great time period where when I was doing it in college, you know, you needed to find a camera guy who would shoot your live shot. So I would go out to like a golf tournament and I would interview the golfers, the PGA players, and then at the end of it I'd say, Hey, would you mind shooting a stand up for me? And I would, you know, shoot a stand up and then I'd have to put all this stuff together, if you will. Uh, what's cool now for, for anybody who wants to get into this is you know, I was watching the Arizona basketball game last night. They were playing Cincinnati, and I muted it. And I caught myself kind of broadcasting the game. What I would say is, do what you're doing. Put your headsets on. Get a microphone. Get a you know iPhone and broadcast games, practice, uh, watch a game on TV, and turn the volume down and call games and get comfortable saying certain things. Uh, listen. As annoying as it is, listen to yourself. I I don't like to hear my own voice, believe it or not. It's really annoying. I'm like, oh, I don't sound like an idiot. But I listen and I'm like, I say this a lot or I say this a lot or, you know, "I, I could have been cleaner on this outtake to a commercial or this intake. And the other thing I'd say is this is don't be nervous. Don't be nervous because. It's taken me a long time in my life to realize the same part of your brain that controls anxiety and nerves also controls uh, celebration and happiness. And so you have to flip the script when you get an opportunity to call a game. I've been nervous before a game, just like I am as a player, you know, when you walk on the field. But I usually say to myself, I want to do this. I want to be here and I have a great opportunity and I, and I catch myself just really enjoying the moment. So I would say practice. I would say don't worry about messing up. You know, Make it look as natural as you can be by continuing to practice. And then the other thing I would say is if you do get an opportunity, it'll train yourself to be excited about the opportunity and not nervous about it so that you can really enjoy what you're doing.
0: We're talking with Scott Gordon, who called this past season of UC Davis Aggie football – so Scott, let's move on and talk a little bit about this past season for UC Davis, uh, finished the season with a six and five record above 500. They started the season one and four, rattle off five straight wins before ultimately losing the causeway classic to Sacramento state. Obviously yeah. that leaves a little bitter feeling to the season. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, the aftermath about not getting in the playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about that controversy, but overall, What are your takeaways from the season and was it like a successful one?
1: Well, first of all, was it a successful one? I think it was because of the schedule that they played against. And even though they didn't make it into the playoffs, which we're obviously going to talk about in a minute, I think going six and five against that schedule was tremendous, especially with some of the injuries that they had, you know, at parts of the season, they lost their starting center. They lost one of their best offensive linemen. They played four games without Teddy Buchanan. Uh, they really found out who their quarterback is with Miles Hastings because going into the season they didn't know who their quarterback was going to be. I think they really developed some uh, some weapons with, you know, Rex Connors and with seeing Land Larrison, like who was going to step up with Alonzo Gilliam leaving. I think they developed some depth at the wide receiver spot. But obviously at the end of the day with a team that was as talented as they were, they should have made the playoffs, probably have two games that I could think of that they probably should have won. Mm-hmm. And I know they're kicking themselves for it. The number one one that just sums up the season to me is that Weaver State yeah. game where you have the ball five times inside the 20 and you end up with two field goals. You get a field goal block. You know, it's you can't dismiss it because the big sky to me is, is the best conference in the FCS. And saying that, not only did they beat Northern Arizona, who gave Montana State a game, not only did they beat Northern Colorado, not only beat Idaho State, but they blew them off the field. And they blew Cal Poly off the field. When they won, they won big. So the wins that they had were just tremendous, and they were blowouts, and they scored over 40 points. The disappointing thing and the tough thing was the close games. I mean, you can go all the way back to week one. They're up 7 to nothing and get a turnover against Cal in the first quarter – they go for it on fourth and short, don't get it. I mean, you kick a field goal there, you're up 10 nothing at the end of one. And then at the end of the first half, you know, it's a 14-10 game. It's fourth and four. They don't punt. They go for it, which, again, is fine. They're trying to win. But they gave Cal a short field, and they go down three. I mean, there's a six-point turnaround in a game that was really ended up being a two-possession game. Uh, you know, same thing about South Dakota State and, you know, Weber State we talked about. So, I thought the season was, yes, a success by how well and how hard they played but unfortunately when you're that good and don't make the playoffs and you're that good and fall short of your goal which is to win the conference championship it's a little disappointing.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about those like close game situations. I was at that Weaver State game and man, I felt like they should have won that game. They won the turnover battle and like By a significant margin, they were the better team on defense, and I felt like they were just the overall better team. But just the failure to execute on some of these plays, like not getting the touchdowns, they scored like one touchdown, and that was it. So let's talk about that. Like, obviously, they lost that game, a game that they should have won. They lost to South Dakota State, who's the number one seed in the FCS playoffs now by two points. And ultimately this past week lost to Sacramento state, the number two seed by six points. So all these really close games, they just like one or two plays and you could be looking at a completely different record and a highly regarded team in the SES playoffs that we're looking at now. But tell me a little bit about like, what do you think? Why do you think that they were not able to close this out?
1: Well, critical situation football. I mean, you, you nailed it. I mean, honestly, if they beat Weber state, they're seven and four and they're in the playoffs. And if they make it into the playoffs, they're lethal. They could beat anybody on anywhere at any time, you know, it would have been a little interesting to see because Alonzo Gilliam got hurt and McAllen castles got hurt in the last game. Yeah. I think the injury bug bit him a little bit, but I really look at that Weaver game. You know, they had the ball on the one yard line before halftime. They've got a good offensive line and good running back. So yes, they went for the field goal, but you've got to execute in critical situations Meaning that you know, if that field goal goes in, that changes your strategy in the second half. If you end up going for the touchdown, you might be going into the halftime. Uh, you know The games are decided by the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And if you think about that, they were getting the ball to come out of the locker room against Weber. And so they're down. But if you get a touchdown there, you're up. And then you're going to get the ball and you have all the momentum. Even if you get a field goal there, it's a one-point game. And then when you have the ball at the end of the game, you don't need a touchdown. All you need is a field goal. I felt like this year the difference was early on in the season, the defense was ahead of the offense. I felt like the defense was opportunistic. If you looked at the first quarters of many games, they were forcing threes and outs. They were forcing turnovers. You know, And the offense was kind of taking a while to warm up. And then the offense would kind of kick in later in the end of the game, and I think that actually was true in the Causeway. I mean, it was seventeen to three at one point, and the offense kind of fought their way back into it a little bit. But at the end of the day, uh, the defensive scheme was pretty good. I mean, they held a very potent Sacramento State team, you know, to twenty-seven points. And then you think about the one play when Miles threw the interception; they actually held them to nothing because they missed the field goal. So. I think Matt Coombs from a defensive coordinator standpoint did a great job because, you know, UC Davis is doing a lot of this without any NIL money, you know, name image and likeness like Montana or Montana state. (laughs) I think the offense had uh, some consistency issues. Uh, They scored a lot of points when they need to, but they didn't always close out their drives and they just didn't win sometimes in those critical situations. And uh, that's tough. You've got to win the turnover battle in the critical situations. And if you don't, literally look at the schedule pick any one of the five losses you pull one of those off and they're in the playoffs they're getting ready for a game this week and they they just didn't do it when they had to they won the blowouts but they didn't win the close games
0: yeah and let's talk a little bit about the whole playoff thing obviously they finished six and five and for most teams in the fcs that will not get the job done as to getting into the playoffs but considering the schedule i thought that six and five could have been good enough to get into the SCS playoffs, they finished fifth in the big sky conference uh, in terms of conference record. Mm -hmm. All the four teams above them got in. However, Montana, who was like one slot below them in the big sky conference got in, even though UCS had a better conference record than them. And when I, I was watching the selection show this past week, I had to just face reality of like Montana got in above us and also Idaho getting in while we like, curb stomp them by like a lot that just made me think about like montana getting in i it kind of had me thinking like does money play a role into this because montana is like if they get a playoff spot the entire state of montana will be watching because that's their fan base whereas if uc davis not many people it's just kind of the the city davis and i kind of felt like money had a role in determining who got into this what are your thoughts it didn't
1: kind of had a role. It 100% had a role. And Montana getting in is just flat-out wrong. And I, I hope that gets national somewhere. This is not right. <laughs> so not only did UC Davis finish ahead of them in the standings, but they had a common opponent in Idaho. Yeah, Idaho, Idaho beat Montana. UC Davis went on the road to Idaho and beat them, and beat them easily. And if you looked at UC Davis' schedule, there's no way you can't tell me they're not one of the top 24 teams in FCS. So you look at the best conference and you're tied for fifth. And I can understand Idaho getting in with seven and four, but what was Idaho's big win it was over Montana. They didn't beat UC Davis. I was actually really upset to see Montana go in. And all it told me was that, you know, Montana is the, is a kind of team that, cause you bid, unlike the FBS level, the FCS level, the athletic departments in the schools bid on the games. So Montana, you know, even though they're, they could host a game because their venue's better and they get 20 to 22,000 or 25,000 people at a home game. You know, they're the kinds of team that travels well, that brings, you know, money that has a history of at the FCS level of being somebody that has brought a lot of revenue to the FCS. It really left a bad taste in my mouth because there was no doubt in my mind, especially after watching UC Davis play Sacramento state live and, after they spotted them a 17-3 lead, really play them very evenly, watching them play uh, Weber State very evenly, watching them beat up on Idaho, who got in. I mean, you think about on the FBS level right now, you want to have a quality win. They had a quality win, and they ranked ahead of them in conference. So it really does disgust me a little bit that they looked at UC Davis and figured, oh, we can just get away with this against them. I'll tell you right now, they play 10 times. UC Davis wins 8 or 9 out of 10 over Montana, and I believe that 100 days of the week. The other thing I hope doesn't play a factor is that the committee watched the game and saw Gilliam go out and Castles go out and maybe thought of, oh, UC Davis got in last year and got blown out in the first round of the playoffs. Well, they got blown out against a team that ended up going to the championship game. So it's not like they lost to, to some nobody's school. So I was actually pretty torqued off about it and really felt that money played a big hand and that Montana getting in was a was a real screw job
0: yeah I mean let's talk a little bit of a high and a bittersweet note of Ulanzo Gilliam leaving UC Davis as the he shattered multiple records all time rusher most touchdowns most points I mean he did everything in his four years here and I remember I started following UC Davis football in his freshman year and man that was a really special team but this year like seeing him for the last time in uc davis and hopefully continues his professional career hopefully in the nfl we'll see how how he does if he declares for the draft uh so just tell me about what you think about obviously it's kind of sad but he's gonna oh. pass the torch on to land Larson, who's a very good running back as well so what just talk me through a little bit about what you thought of ulanzo gilliam during his time here
1: absolutely loved him and I think I've said this on the broadcast I think one of the best tributes you can do as a teammate is he was voted by his teammates captain three years which means his teammates loved him he could have transferred he could have transferred to an Fbs school a big sky school and played you know somewhere else and maybe played a little bit more prestigious but what I love about him is he's humble like you spend more than five minutes talking to him and you can see why his teammates love him I thought it was a great story how he was the one that gave the captaincy to Miles Hastings. He realized that Miles had become the offensive leader of the team. So first of all, Yolando Gilliam Jr., the person is a Hall of Famer watching him play. It's hard to put into words just how good he is because, you know, he led the team in receptions. A lot of the times balls were coming, you know, behind him and he made the catch or he made a little one handed catch Uh, on fourth and short. He seemed to always get the extra yard. Like, he knew when to accelerate and hit a hole hard. He knew when to be patient. He knew when to go low. He knew when to bounce run. You know, obviously, it was pretty cool when the game was going sideways against Cal. He took a 60-yard run in, into the house. You know, I think it was the San Diego game where Cody Hawkins, the offensive coordinator, said, we were just going to give him the ball until he got the record. It took two plays. He got the rushing record. Everybody went crazy. And then, you know, against Cal Poly, they drive down and kick a field goal, and then UC Davis gets it. First play, he takes it 59 yards for a touchdown. So to watch him play was a real privilege. To get to know him a little bit was an honor. And, you know, his time has come. It's time to, to, to move on. But you talk about leaving your mark on a program and on a storied program. He's done that. I don't think people realize he played pretty banged up at times, and he didn't say a whole lot about it. And if you watched him warm up and you watched him interact with his teammates, he loved playing football for UC Davis. He loved his teammates. And that love shined through the way he played. It was pretty awesome. It was cool to see him get the touchdown in the causeway, but uh, absolute joy to be around him, to watch him play. And I just can't say enough great things about him.
0: Yeah, for sure. So my last one before I let you go, let's look into what well, look look ahead into the next season. Obviously, Alonzo Gillian's gone. Uh McCallum Castles, who's the highest like likelihood of getting drafted. He's a big NFL prospect. Hopefully he does. Devin King is also gone and their leader on defense. Obviously, this is still a very young team. What do you see in the next season for UC Davis uh, going forward on offense and defense? What should it look like?
1: Oh, I'm excited. I think offensively, let's start off with your quarterback, Miles Hastings. He had a, every week his completion percentages got better. He's going to have another offseason to try to hone in his craft. Uh, he does a lot of things in protection. Think about how many people he got the ball around to. So coming into this season, we didn't know who the quarterback would be. Next year, you know 100% that Miles Hastings is your starting quarterback. So that's a big question answered. You got Land Larison uh, that you know is going to be your go to running back, but you also have. Players that were freshmen and sophomores that got a lot of quality reps because of the blowouts and the game situations that you had. So you have a great starting running back. You have a great quarterback that you know is coming back. And you built depth in the wide receiver core. And and let's look at a guy like Blake Thorpe uh, as the tight end. They like to throw to the tight end a lot. So, you know, Justin Poirier, people who came in, had an opportunity to play a little bit because of the injuries to the wide receiver core. Uh, you now had a lot of those guys get experience. So I think you have experience as a receiver. You have experience at running back. You have experience at quarterback. And the offensive line brings back a lot of people because of the injuries that they have. So I look next year and think they're going to be very potent offensively. Defensively, it starts with Teddy Buchanan. I mean, he's just he was a redshirt freshman or sophomore this year, depending on how the COVID eligibility stays. And then you've got the Connors brothers. I mean, those two guys coming from Utah was an absolute steal. I don't know how they got out of that state. But those two guys, you know, especially Rex and, uh, you know, the way that he plays and the interceptions that he gets. And then, you know, Zach Kennedy and some of the guys up front. So they're deep at linebacker, in my opinion. They're deep in the secondary, and they're deep up front. So I I really like what they have coming back. You hate to say goodbye to Alonzo Gilliam, but I really feel like, to be candid with you, they come back – deeper with more questions answered next year than they did coming into this year. And this was the team that, you know, coach Hawkins said was the most talented team he had. You look at the schedule. I think it sets up a little bit more favorably for them next year. And I think they're back on a path to the playoffs.
0: All right. Well, so the countdown begins. I'm looking at next year's football schedule August 31st, they take on Texas A&M Commerce Lions. Hopefully that's accurate. I'm getting this from some scheduling website, but... Oh, no, uh, I
1: think you're right. It's a Thursday night game. Yeah. It's a, mm-hmm. at University of Texas at Commerce. It's in Dallas. And uh, yeah. it'll be an exciting first game. And I'm, I'm fired up for it
0: too. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for joining me on Time Out Radio today. And uh, go Ags. Go Ags. All right. That's Scott Gordon, who is the color commentator for uc davis football all right let's call a timeout for timeout radio this was your host rohan bakshi you're listening to cater 95.7 fm where the grassroots grow have a great day everyone